Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Connie. Today is Thursday, September 21st, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. The weather in Riverside saw a high of 76.2 degrees today, with a low dipping down to 63.7, promising the perfect temperature to tune in to our show with a cup of coffee in hand. Now let's jump into what we're covering today. The Biden-Harris administration unveils a new initiative, the American Climate Corps, aiming at creating jobs and combating the ongoing climate crisis. We will also delve into the debate over how to address China's mounting economic challenges. Then closer to home, an interesting tale as prominent authors, amongst them George R. Martin and John Grisham, take on OpenAI for copyright infringement. In tech and business, the Japanese consortium led by Japan Industrial Partners celebrates a victory, successfully closing a $14 billion takeover bid for Toshiba. All these and more coming up on Alex's News. Stay tuned. We begin today with exciting news regarding a shift towards a greener future. The Biden-Harris administration has launched the American Climate Corps. This initiative hopes to provide young people with skills-based training in clean energy, conservation, and climate resilience. With us today to delve deeper into this subject is our correspondent, Elias. Elias, could you please explain the fundamental goal of this initiative? Of course, Connie. To put it simply, the primary objective of the American Climate Corps initiative is to create good-paying jobs that directly address our climate crisis. The goal is to train over 20,000 young people in its first year alone on career pathways within these crucial fields, according to sources from the White House. That's a significant number. Now, it's not just job creation, but there seems to be a specific focus on equity and environmental justice. Could you elaborate on that? Absolutely, Connie. This program particularly aims to prioritize communities that have been traditionally left behind and are disproportionately impacted by climate change. This commitment to environmental justice extends to ensuring a collaboration with tribal, local, and state governments, as well as labor unions, nonprofit service allies, and the private sector. So it's a broad collaborative effort. Elias, you mentioned earlier this initiative has a goal to tackle the climate crisis. Can you break that down further? Happy to, Connie. Key initiatives of the American Climate Corps include restoring land, improving community resilience to natural disasters, and deploying clean energy. These projects align both with broader climate goals and the Biden administration's Justice 40 goal, which aims to deliver 40% of climate investment benefits to disadvantaged communities. Do we know anything about the strategy behind this initiative, Elias? The American Climate Corps is inspired by the New Deal-era Civilian Conservation Corps and expands upon it by addressing broader goals beyond simply tackling the climate crisis. As NPR reported, the program aims to create wealth and address social issues acknowledging the need for a future-focused climate workforce. Speaking of the workforce, the positions in the program are paid and reportedly do not require previous experience. Is that correct? Exactly. 
And moreover, the federal government is proposing new regulations to facilitate program participants' entry into the federal public service after they complete the program. It seems like an all-encompassing program, from jobs creation to climate crisis mitigation. Do critics have any concerns? Some lawmakers had initially pushed for more funding and broader scope for the program, given the urgent challenges we face in the climate crisis. However, the White House has stated that it's also investing in pre-apprenticeships and expanding national service opportunities to help address additional aspects of the climate issue, like the wildfire crisis. And as we wrap up, how many states have joined this initiative so far? As of today, the initiative has gathered support from 15 states, with five new states joining recently. It's a growing movement, and it'll be interesting to see how it evolves in the coming months and years. Elias, thank you for your thorough analysis of the American Climate Corps. This initiative, significant in its aim to train young people in clean energy, conservation, and climate resilience skills while creating pathways to good-paying jobs, definitely sounds like one to watch in the coming months. On to our second story of the day. China is currently facing economic troubles that are fueling a debate among government advisors about the best way forward. Grace, can you talk us through what the debate is about? Certainly, Connie. This is a rather complex issue, with two main points of view being represented. On one side are the pro-reform advisors. They argue that the stimulus policies, which have been driving growth, have reached their limit, and some bold structural changes are needed. Things like relaxing residence permits and removing market entry barriers for private companies are among their proposals. On the other side, there are advisors advocating for stimulus measures. They urge the central government to exploit its low debt to fund infrastructural development and stimulate activity. This argument is unfolding as we approach the annual Central Economic Work Conference in December, where the economic agenda for the next year will be set. What is the current stand of the Chinese government in this debate? China's cabinet has signaled a preference for the reform side of the argument. Connie, under the chairmanship of Premier Li Chang, they've pledged to introduce more economic policies to solidify the recovery. This comes after encouraging data in bank lending, industrial production, and consumption signaled a stabilization of the economy. Though, the wobbling property sector remains a concern. What strategies are being proposed to tackle these issues? These strategies include deepening economic reforms to stimulate domestic demand, further opening up the economy, and stimulating business activities. The goal here is to achieve an annual growth rate of around 5%. Yi Gang, the former governor of the People's Bank of China, also suggests boosting the confidence of private firms, addressing local government debt risks, and implementing social policies to improve housing demand and welfare for migrant workers. That said, the Asian Development Bank has recently revised China's growth forecast downward to 4.9% due to concerns over the property sector. Besides policy adjustments, are there other efforts by the government aimed at stabilizing the economy? 
Indeed, Connie, there have been some fiscal and monetary measures. China has increased the issuance of special-purpose local government bonds. On the monetary front, the central bank has adjusted policy rates and reduced the financial institution reserve requirement ratio. These have reportedly made a positive impact, with increases observed in China's value-added industrial output and retail sales of consumer goods. And how are these developments affecting President Xi Jinping's handling of China's economic predicaments? It's been tough for President Xi Jinping, Connie. There's sluggish consumer spending, a problematic property market, lagging exports, high youth unemployment, and local government debt. It's a lot. The typical approach of using large-scale stimulus has led to oversupply and skyrocketing debt levels, raising fears about a Japan-style economic stagnation. It's a tricky situation to navigate for sure. What are some of the other options available to the Chinese government to tackle these challenges? Some options that are being discussed include easing property restrictions, providing tax breaks to consumers, increasing infrastructure investments, and supporting high-tech manufacturers. Interestingly enough, however, hidden debt among local governments might pose a significant risk to some of these solutions. It makes things even more complicated. It certainly sounds like a complicated problem. How does this scenario look for the future? Well, Connie, the odds might look stacked against China currently, but as we know, the situation is fluid. Navigating a balance between stimulus and the required reforms is key here. The government's pledge to accelerate the introduction of economic policies, coupled with their focus on deepening reforms, possibly signals their commitment to sustaining long-term growth. Hopefully, Chinese leaders will find that balance. Let's hope so, indeed. Grace, thank you for this in-depth analysis. It was my pleasure, Connie. Moving on to our next story, authors are striking back against artificial intelligence in a legal showdown. Noteworthy among them is George R. R. Martin, the creative mind behind A Game of Thrones. Together with other prominent authors such as John Grisham and Jody Picou, they have resorted to a class-action lawsuit against OpenAI, the artificial intelligence firm known for the language model ChatGPT, arguing copyright infringement. Elias, can you delve deeper into the details for us? Sure, Connie. 17 authors organized by the Authors Guild argue that OpenAI's ChatGPT model has been using their copyrighted works without permission. They describe the situation as systematic theft on a scale never seen before. What these AI programs are doing, they claim, is essentially endangering the livelihoods of writers and threatening the literary culture and creative industries in the United States. Those are grave accusations. Can you explain how this AI technology is allegedly violating the author's rights? Absolutely, Connie. The lawsuit cites several specific examples. One of them alleges that the AI model generated an unsolicited and detailed outline for a prequel to George R. R. Martin's popular series, A Game of Thrones, the authors say OpenAI's language models, including ChatGPT, are producing derivative works. These AI-generated texts mimic and summarize their books, 
without compensation or prior authorization. And has OpenAI said anything in response to these accusations? OpenAI has yet to respond to these particular claims, Connie. However, they have said in the past that they respect authors' rights and believe authors should be benefiting from advances in AI technology. If these accusations hold, what could be the potential implications for AI technology and intellectual property rights? This is part of an ongoing debate, Connie. Some experts argue that if an AI program ingests copyrighted works for training but creates substantially new works, it might fall under fair use. However, others believe merely copying works into the database constitutes copyright infringement. This lawsuit could compel a clear-cut ruling, one that could have profound implications for AI technology and the creative industries in the future. Are there other underlying issues raised by this lawsuit? There certainly are, Connie. The Authors Guild, who are representing the authors, claim that OpenAI's technology inherently threatens the creative industries. They're advocating for legislation to protect authors, and they're also demanding transparency and compensation from AI companies when using authors' works to train their AI. This aligns with broader concerns about how generative AI systems like OpenAI's use public data. This case certainly brings attention to possible copyright transgressions in the realm of AI. That's right, Connie. In fact, the U.S. Copyright Office has previously issued a notice of inquiry inviting public comment on AI and copyright protection, with authors increasingly taking legal steps towards protecting their intellectual property rights This lawsuit accentuates the necessity of addressing these ambiguities. Indeed, it seems a defining moment is on the horizon for both the creative and tech industries. Thank you for that comprehensive analysis, Elias. Always a pleasure to delve into these crucial topics, Connie. For our final story of the day, I want to delve into some big developments within Japan's business world, Toshiba, a leading Japanese industrial conglomerate, has recently confirmed that a $14 billion private takeover bid, led by private equity firm Japan Industrial Partners, or JIP, has been successful. Grace, what can you tell us about this deal? Well, Connie, it's certainly a significant shift for Toshiba, a company that's familiar to many of us for their wide array of consumer electronics. This is a company with a storied 148-year history. In recent years, however, it's had its fair share of struggles, including financial turmoil and various scandals, like the profit-padding scandal in 2015, which led to substantial losses in their U.S. nuclear subsidiary. Sounds like quite a challenging period for them. Was a buyout seen as a necessary move for Toshiba? It seems as such, Connie. Now, I should clarify for everyone at home that in this deal, the JIP-led consortium secured just over 78% of Toshiba's shares. This gives them a governing majority of more than two-thirds. This is key because with this majority, JIP can proceed with a planned meeting to squeeze out the remaining shareholders, ultimately leading to Toshiba's delisting from the Tokyo Stock Exchange, potentially as early as December. So what does this mean for the future of Toshiba? 
Some within the industry believe this could be a turning point for the company. Within the consortium, there are 20 Japanese companies, including chipmaker Rome, financial services firm Oryx, and Chubu Electric Power. The introduction of these new domestic owners could end years of battles with overseas investors, improving morale within the company, and potentially aligning management objectives. So it could actually be a hopeful future for the company? Are there any implications beyond Toshiba itself? Absolutely. This deal marks the largest M&A deal in Japan this year, Connie. It could very well set the stage for other companies facing similar pressures to consider going private. Keep in mind, private equity buyouts, though common in Western countries, are still somewhat unusual in Japan. This deal might just be the push needed to see more such consolidation within the industry. Interesting implications indeed. I suppose only time will tell. Were there other considerations during the bidding process? There were indeed, Connie. Toshiba did receive several takeover offers, including one from UK private equity group CVC Capital Partners earlier this year. However, these were rejected. At one point, the company was considering splitting up into two separate businesses. This was all before ultimately deciding to accept JIP's offer. Sounds like it was quite a journey to reach this point. It certainly was, Connie. Well, thank you for shedding light on this complex situation, Grace. My pleasure, Connie. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the 11 Labs Text-to-Speech API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.